Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Verse 28, Luke chapter 24, as we begin the end of the journey here in Luke's gospel. And then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to him. We'll share, hopefully you have the elements of communion, we'll give you an opportunity at the end if you did not receive them coming in to receive them and we'll partake together at the end of our time. Jesus caused the disciples the last thing he did with them to remember him. Are you remembering Jesus? And then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And so they arose and here's where the journey continues. The final Moments that we get to have a view into the lives of the disciples before Jesus is ascended into heaven. And they rose up, that would be Cleopas and his traveling partner, and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You have the breaking of the bread in your hands, in your possession right now. Why is that important? Because those elements represent the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, the price of your salvation. Jesus made known to the disciples who he was at the communion table. This is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, you do so in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, you do so in remembrance of me. For it is the cup of the shedding of blood, for without it there is no remission of sin. You see, as Jesus spends his last day, much like we've been waiting for the last day with Connie's father now for a week, there's an importance to the last day. There's something that God wants to speak to you today. You see, without the cross of Christ... Without that insane, crazy, bizarre, 
seemingly unbelievable day that Jesus was beaten and crucified and put into a tomb. Without that day, our eternity would be spent apart from God. But because of that day, because the Prince of Peace chose to come to this wretched earth and give his life a ransom for you, the Prince of Peace has made peace with God the Father. We now have peace with God, exactly as Romans 5.1 says, because of the cross of Christ, we now can enjoy that peace, we can walk in that peace. Our relationship with him now is one of peace because we believed on the Prince of Peace and received what he offered to them. He said, my peace I leave with you. Not peace as the world gives do I give you, but my peace. Church, the world still needs the peace of Christ. Amen? That's the answer. It's it's the only answer. And so Jesus begins to deal with them in a way that cuts through all the noise. As you might imagine, they were a little bit shocked to see Jesus sitting with them, you think? Because remember, the scriptures tell us they didn't initially believe. But they're believing now. You know, sometimes it takes people a while to see Jesus. Please don't give up. Please don't give up. Sometimes it takes people a while to see Jesus. Keep being peaceable. Keep being kind. Keep being loving. Keep speaking the truth and love. Keep on keeping on. Sometimes it takes a while for people to see Jesus. It might be your family, it might be mine, it could be someone you love dearly, it may be a friend. But we turn our attention to the upper room. John's gospel reminds us that Jesus didn't really need the door. He just simply appeared. It was kind of like an episode of ghost hunters or something. All of a sudden there's Jesus, the only problem is they could touch him. He ate with them. He was real to them. In the midst of all of these things, he says in verse 36, and now he said these things as he spoke them, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. And notice verse 37, but they were terrified, frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. There's Jesus in the midst, and sometimes people get the wrong impression of our Savior But he says to them to calm their hearts, notice, why are you troubled? Why do these thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is myself, handle me and see. For the spirit has not flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus says, guys, you don't need to be worried. I'm giving you sufficient evidence to know that I am real. As I sat in the hospital this week with a man that I love, there was sufficient evidence to know that Jesus is real. 
We talked of heaven. We talked about what kind of bodies we'll have when we get there. We talked about the glorious things that await those who have put their faith and hope and trust in him. And it was real, church. It wasn't some freakish, ethereal conversation that, you know, things we think. It was the truth. It's like, oh, Lord, thank you for that. How do people, how do people reach that last day and not know Jesus? I don't know. Church, I don't know. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online and you don't know Jesus. Can I say to you, you don't want to reach the last day of your life and have any question as to where you're going when you take your last breath. And when he had spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. He he wasn't some apparition. He wasn't a ghost, as we might call it. He was King Jesus in the flesh. A real body. He says, go ahead, touch me. The same body that had been taken down and placed in that tomb... And even that was still not quite enough. Verse 41, but while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, you have any grub? You have any food? Anybody called Grubhub yet? (laughs) She gets some food. Can somebody please get some takeout? He said, do you have any food? I love this because Jesus says what we need to hear. You have anything to eat? You see, up to this point, they were still wondering, but there'd be no wondering. And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Jesus said, look, just so you don't have any questions about who I am or what I've done, let me do for you what you need to see so that you will know it's me. That's our Savior. He may not do everything you want. He may not do all that you think he should. But he always does enough. To both convict and convince of who he is. Always. He does enough. The rest is in the realm of faith. For by faith one believes in one's heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. Without faith it is impossible to please God. When the disciples needed something that was of the highest order, he said, I don't Pray that you might be delivered out of these tribulations or trials. I pray that you might have more faith. Amen? 
Faith is essential in the life of every believer. You cannot come to faith in Christ by simply knowing about Christ. There will always be an element of faith. Church. If that weren't enough, verse 44, he also gives them biblical proof, proof from the word. Notice what he says. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He said, this isn't the first time you've heard these things. It won't be the last time you hear these things. These are the things contained within the word. This is what Moses was talking about. This is what Zechariah and Isaiah and Daniel were getting at. This is what the Old Testament spoke to you. These things they said, I have now done. That's the beauty of the word. The word itself testifies internally of its own truth. It validates itself. Some say, well, that's circular. No, it's not. Because remember how the Bible got written. It wasn't one guy and it wasn't one year. It was 40 different authors, 66 different books in a time span of 1,500 years. And every bit of it speaking of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and his great plan and his desire that the world through him might be saved. It's what the church is for to help people understand the scriptures. And then he said to them, For thus it is written, in other words, here's what the Bible says. And again, this would be the Old Testament. Thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, these things were all said ahead of time. In the case of David in the Psalms, a thousand years before Jesus walked on the earth. It was necessary Man could never fix his own problem. We could not get to that place to where we could pay for our own sin. It's impossible. All of your blood could be spilled and it would never be enough to redeem yourself. And so Christ died for the ungodly. And the repentance and remission of sin. You see, if you don't repent, there is no remission. You can't keep your sin, look God in the eye and say, I'm hanging on to my sin. You have to repent of your sin for the remission of your sin. Now the good news is, when you repent, it's done. It's forgiven, it's forgotten. That they should be preached in his name, here it is, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Any of you know what the Great Commission says? Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Acts chapter 1 begins with beginning in your Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the 
uttermost parts of the earth. The whole goal of the church is to preach Christ crucified for the remission of sin. That is our primary function. To teach the word. That is our secondary function. To advance the gospel. That is our third function. To feed the poor. That is our fourth function. We could go on and on and on about what the Bible says the church is to be about. There are a lot of things that the church gets hung up doing that the Bible doesn't say we're even supposed to do. And you were witnesses of these things. And behold, I send a promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus was never ambiguous. He did much the same thing when he met with Peter in Caesarea Philippi in the north of modern-day Israel today. He repeatedly told them what was going to happen, and he said, Who do men say that I am? What was that response? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't say you're the Redeemer of Israel, though that would actually happen as well. He said thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Appointed One, the One that would come and pay the price, the One that we were looking for, the One who is a prophet like Moses, yet greater, the One who exceeds Elijah. You are the Christ. Church, we have to remember what Jesus left as his final instructions to the disciples. Teach the word, preach the gospel. Expound upon the scripture, preach the gospel, and receive the power of the Holy Spirit to get the job done. Jesus in no way was ambiguous. They needed spiritual enlightenment. They didn't need a bunch of other things infecting their mind. They didn't need to launch a political action committee. They didn't need to join together in a group to accomplish certain things. They needed the word of God, the gospel, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the church needed then, and it's what the church lives on and survives by today. That's who we are. The rest of the things that we do should only be to the extent they help us preach the gospel, teach the full counsel of God's word, endued with the Holy Spirit. If we lose that mission, the church actually doesn't have a purpose. We just then become another moral agent in this world with some good ideas that might possibly help somebody. We have the words of life. That's why those words to the disciples that encouraged them to think that thought, where can we go, Lord, you have the words of life. We're supposed to be preaching the words of life. That's the church's mission. That's what we do here in this church. Prayerfully, we do very little else that doesn't point people back to Jesus. Great. You know, we have all these other things that we do, and we should do some of them. They help us preach the gospel, teach the word, so that people can see the power of God in us. The task before them was monumental. 
But basically, Jesus is saying, look, I'm endorsing the entirety of the Hebrew Bible. He says, the scriptures, the prophets, the writings, and the words of Moses. That's pretty much it. He says, all of it. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, reminded us that that information that's in the Bible needs some spiritual enlightenment. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Church, we need to be spiritual people, preaching a spiritual message to people who need to be saved, redeemed, and sanctified. That's the message of the church. That's who we are. That's the only thing that can unite us. When we're, when we're busted apart, what draws us back together is the Spirit of God working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Because if he's calling the shots, we're all going to end up where we need to be. But if I just come up with an idea, we're probably all going to have plenty of ideas in this room. Some of them good, some of them not. The Lord's not quite yet done. Notice he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father. You're going to be endued with the Spirit. The Spirit of God was going to come upon them. At this point in time, the Spirit of God had not yet come. That would come at Pentecost. Now we're told in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus spent 40 days on the earth after he was resurrected. You can look that up. It's in verse 3. So Jesus is going to spend time. What's he going to be doing while he's wandering around? He's going to be telling them, look, you need to, you got one more thing that's going to happen to you. You're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying the word is true. I've come to testify of that. I, I, the, you need to have that enlightened. You need to have that enabled in your life. You need to sense that spirit of revival in you. You need to know that those good works can't be produced by your flesh. And so that's going to happen. Between Passover and Pentecost is how many days? Church, anybody know? It's 50. If Jesus is on the earth for 40 days, according to Acts chapter 1, they had to wait 10 more days. Jesus is going to heaven, and they waited for 10 days for the day of Pentecost when they were all gathered together in a room, and the Holy Spirit fell upon those that were gathered. That was the birth of the church. That's when the church was really birthed. It's like now you have the power to go do these things. You had the knowledge, you had the understanding, you had the scripture, but you were lacking the power to actually go get it done. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have the power to accomplish what God wants you to do. That indwelling power, that consciousness of right and wrong, good and evil, of sin and of righteousness, of abilities that you do not have in your own flesh. That is all a work of the Spirit. And so they were waiting for Pentecost. 
the disciples are sitting there, they, they had enough information. Can I tell you, the world is filled with information about Jesus. But what the world doesn't have is the power of God unto salvation. They're waiting for that power to be theirs personally. That's why you can't convince somebody with just a persuasive argument to be saved. You can't just convince them, convincing alone. It's a work of the Spirit that anyone gets saved. And then it's a work of the Spirit that anyone gets used. Somebody asked me for a job description. I said, my job description is easy. I'm a talking jackass. I'm a donkey that gets to speak for the Lord. By the way, that's completely biblical. Amen? It doesn't mean I don't study. It doesn't mean I haven't spent thousands of hours writing. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means unless the Spirit has something to say to the church, there's nothing to say. That's a work of God. I did not plan to have the things that happened in our lives this week culminate on this day. This is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is using something to speak to you. Somebody here today needs to get right with Jesus. The Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. And so Jesus takes them finally out to the Mount of Olives. And he led them out as far as Bethany. That's the shoulder of the Mount of Olives. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. When you have been blessed by the Lord, the natural response is to worship him. This also is what the church is about. When we praise the Lord as he's blessing us, it produces more praise. That's the natural response of the soul to the power of the Spirit working in the church. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So here's Jesus' last day. What does he do? He gives them a Bible study. He causes them to touch him. He brings them to a place where they know him. They become endued with the Spirit. As he blesses them, the praise is lifted up. And he says, it's time for me to go. You got what you need. Church, it's that simple. Sometimes we so radically complicate why the church exists. The church exists as an expression of the goodness of God to us. He has blessed us. He's filled our hearts with praise. We've been instructed in the word. And what happens is our response back to him is we can't help but tell others about him. That's who the church is. It's what we're to do. Strangely, as he's on the Mount of Olives, as Pentecost will come, as we find in Acts chapters 1 and 2, that the church is now excited about the things they've been called to. But that same mountain, Jesus is coming back to that same place. 
Zechariah chapter 14 says that when he returns, he's putting his feet back on the Mount of Olives. And that mountain will be cleaved or split in two. So where Jesus left from, he's coming back too. And we're a whole lot closer to him coming back than to when he left. That might be a word for you today. We're a whole lot closer to him coming back than when he left. But he's not coming back to preach another gospel. He's coming back as the ruling king. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back to take care of sin. To ultimately take the Antichrist and destroy his works. But as they're standing around, it begs the question, what was next for them? He'd given them everything they needed. And he said, all we need to do is add in the Holy Spirit to this mix, and you guys are ready to go. You're ready to go and preach. You're ready to go and teach. You're you're ready But church, with that comes responsibility. We as the church have the responsibility to preach the gospel and teach the word. Lead people in actually following Christ. I don't have a responsibility to start a political action committee. I don't have the responsibility to be the moral police of the world. I don't have the responsibility to be the police of the world. I have the responsibility to preach the gospel and teach the word. See people come to faith in Christ because if their insides get changed, their outside will follow along. But I can do all the policing on the outside. It will never change the inside. It starts inside, not outside. We need to remember that as the church so we don't get caught up in the wrong things. Now, let me be clear. We should be, we should be involved in all areas of life, all areas. Social causes, moral causes, all of these things need our attention, but they need our attention because we are believers first, and then we can take care of the things of the cares of the world. In other words, Christ is first. It's Christ in me that's my hope of glory. It is Christ out of me as the hope for everybody else. What was next for them? It was to simply be used of the Lord. Church. As we think on the cross of Christ, you see all of this pointed back. So what's Jesus up to today? And I want to wrap this up with this thought and then we're going to take those communion elements. If you have not received the communion elements, would you just simply lift up your hand right now and we'll make sure that those come to you if you do not have them. Let me remind you in this moment that communion is for those who have communed first with Christ, that you love him, you know him, he's your savior, your Lord. These communion elements are meaningless to the person without Christ. They would simply be something that you would do 
But to we who know him, they are the truth of what the gospel actually is. And it's the power of God unto salvation to them who believe. I believe, you see, that Christ's body was beaten, bruised, crushed, destroyed, nailed to a tree, and put in a grave for my sin. And I believe that his blood paid the propitiation or the price for the ransom that was on my life because of that sin. Jesus took the beating for me and he shed his blood for me. That's the truth of the communion that we share with the Lord. Today in heaven, Jesus acts as our high priest. Did you know that? He's sitting right now. You see, in the Old Testament days, the high priest functioned once a year, only on the Day of Atonement, to go into the Holy of Holies to make intercession. Jesus does that 24-7, 365 for you now. You don't have to wait for Yom Kippur. You can simply confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive it instantaneously right now. Hallelujah. Amen? You don't have to wonder whether you're saved. You don't have to wonder whether the price has been paid. The fullness of the price that was necessary was extracted from Christ the Son. God said it is sufficient. It's done. Thank you, Lord. God restores us. He's an advocate. I pray not many of you have had the opportunity to sit in a courtroom and need a lawyer. But the word advocate we find in our Bibles that we'll be studying in the book of Hebrews is the exact same word as the attorney. The helper, the paraclete. The one who comes alongside. The one who's there when you mess up. Can you imagine? Here's how it works. Oh, your sins are real. But Jesus is more real than your sins. So when your sins get to God the Father's ears and you say, I confess, I admit, yep, that was me. Jesus says, Father, forgive him. I paid for that on Calvary's cross. I took care of that debt. Jeff doesn't owe you a thing. I paid that debt. That's who you have sitting with God the Father right now. Your advocate. He's also sitting there as the head of the church. Saying we can do this thing. While we're here in this present world which is a mess. You may be thinking to yourself. Wow. I don't know if I can keep going. Yes you can. Yes, I can. And most precious to our family this week has been that promise of John chapter 14. For in my Father's house are many mansions. Were it not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you might also be. And the place you know and the way you know, for I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. 
That way is Jesus. That way is the way of the cross. And for you who are here today and you rejoice with me, I rejoice in the power of the cross unto salvation. We're going to partake together. And so if you'd expose the bread, which is in the bottom of that little chalice, if you just take that paper off on the bottom. If you don't know the Lord right now, you can invite him into your life. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And I believe you died for me. Come into my life. Save me. Because if you confess him with your lips, he'll confess you before the Father. But for we who already know him, Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread and when he had broken it, he said to them, take and eat for this is my body broken for you. Let's partake together. If you'd expose the juice by taking off the foil off the other end. It was after supper, which would make it the cup of redemption, that Jesus, after he'd broken the bread and said, my body was broken for you, he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the remission. In other words, the payment of the debt of sin. It's the cup of the new covenant. The Apostle Paul would pass this along in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to the church and say, as often as you drink of this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. He died so you don't have to die for your own sin. Let's partake of the cup together. Father, what can we say to these things? Lord Jesus, we recognize that you're sitting right now interceding for us when the Satan of this world, the wicked one, the accuser of the brethren comes to say, oh, look at Jeff's life. You're there to say, oh no, Father, look at the cross. I paid the price for his sin. He's been made white as snow. Lord, we thank you for your broken body and for your shed blood. Lord, make us worthy messengers of the gospel. Endue us with the power of the Holy Spirit to finish strong in this race that we call life. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Please use us, Lord, for your glory in this world. Would our lives count for your glory, for your gospel? We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys and we'll see you next week.